good vibes. A good evening. I do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. The Knutsons. have taken control as to bring you this special show. Who are the Knutsons? Only good vibes. Only good vibes is the plan. Only good vibes. Good vibes. Okay, this is called the Knutson effect. Hello, Seamus. How you doing? How's things? You okay, sir? I'm all right. So there's, there's two of you on this Zoom call, yeah? Yeah. There is indeed, yeah. Yeah, it's very informal though, so it's not like, it's not overly formal. It's not a job interview, don't worry. It's not a job interview, Seamus. <laughs> if anything, you got the job. Okay. <laughs> Give me the job, all right? Get out of the way at the start. <laughs> yeah, How are you me? doing, Seamus? You, you keeping yourself busy? Yeah, really busy. Um, I don't even know, because I went back to work for Defective last summer. Mm-hmm. Right to go and do A&R. So, <clears throat> I mean, I'm sort of bringing stuff across the board, but my main role is to look after Glitterbox, um, Sulfuric, and Four to the Floor, all the kind of back catalogue stuff we pick up. Um, yeah, yeah. So labels I used to work for, like Slip and Slide, I used to work for them, God, I don't know, 20 years ago. Um, so I'm busy with that. And then I've also brought my Big Love label into the fold, so that's part of it as well. Yeah, also, yeah. I'm lucky I'm getting paid a full-time wage to sit at home and do A&R. Yeah. Well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So lockdown has been pretty good for you then? It's been pretty sweet for you, Seamus? Well, way. like you know, like I say, I'm lucky I've got a job because um, it's difficult, isn't it? If people are out there gigging yeah. every week, if you're out gigging every weekend and that's your main income, like yeah. it is for most DJ producers, it's, it's tough, isn't it, with what's going on, you yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, it's been really tough the last few months, but I think a lot of the people we're talking to, though, like they, they have, they've been keeping themselves like quite productive and, and trying to keep things going in terms of like making tracks and the live streaming and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I think the thing with the dance music scene is, you know, for a long time now, it's, I mean, back in the day, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you could just make a living from releasing records. Yeah, yeah. You know, people could just make records and they, you know, like, MK used to make records. He wasn't a DJ 20 years ago, you know. Um, And now it's like people spend all their time and energy making records so they can go out and DJ from the back of them. And now Mm -hmm. it's like, well, you can make a record, but there's not really any gigs going on. So I do feel for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I think it's difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think unless you've got some savings put away or if you make the kind of music that, does actually make money. So if it's, if it's music that streams, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if it's very underground music, it's highly unlikely it's going to be streaming. But if you're yep. music streaming, then you're in a different ballpark. You should be okay, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. But well, well, um, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom about it. I'm just saying <laughs> I really feel for people right now because yeah, this, we- is, this has been a long time now. I mean, it's been since March, isn't it? And... Um, Yep. It doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon either. Like it's going to be here for, for a while by the looks of it. Yeah, exactly. And we were all hoping that we all knew that summer was going to be over. EB4 wasn't going to happen, but we we're all hoping that maybe by September, October, things would pick up. Yep. And now, I mean, this is going to be going on for quite some time. It's looking so, like it, Yeah, very lately. You know, I mean, personally, I'm just, yeah, I'm personally speaking apart from, I mean, I'm just, this is my office at home and I've just been in here yeah. five days a week, you know, doing very long days and staring out the window. Um, <laughs> and then I, <clears throat> I did recently just go back in the studio. So I've been sort of m- making some demos at home and I did go in with my engineer 
mm-hmm. um, a few times recently, just because I've got vocal projects and I need to, I need to get on with them, you know. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's quite frustrating. It's been frustrating over the summer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were holding on to tracks for summer releases for the clubs, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, where are these tracks? What are we releasing them to? Basically, yeah. Is there a scene? Is there? Can you yeah. can you actually go and play in the clubs and get a reaction? Can you get footage of that and create an excitement to promote the record? Um, yeah, and also I think for some DJs it's like they put records out and then you want to you want to benefit from being able to go and DJ off the back of that. So there are certain people that have had probably some hit records mm-hmm. this year, but they haven't had the benefit of going out there and really capitalising on yeah. going out and doing the circuit. And if this goes on until next summer, it's like they're going to have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it's going to make do, make do this summer. And like you say, if it drags on a little bit, we're, uh, yeah, back to square one, eh? It's yeah. amazing how productive people have been in so many different ways, though. Every guest we get on, it's amazing. It's interesting to see how they've uh, used the time and tried to make it as productive as possible. What have they been doing? Darning socks? <laughs> <laughs> Rearranging their record collection? <laughs> me and John have just, John's just been cheering me up, basically, haven't you, John? We've just been having a chat here. Having a, I have. I've just been Zoom calling him every day just to, just to make sure he's staying sane. <laughs> we just miss each, other. Um, we miss each other so much Seamus we've got we had to zoom chat each other oh that's sweet <laughs> well, actually we, I was listening to um, your new track there Smoke It On Up before we came on Seamus it's really really good enjoying that one. Oh, thanks yeah that was um, <clears throat> I think that came out last year sometime I can't remember now right okay uh, okay but that's the thing isn't it so the way music is now like something might be brand new to you because you just discovered it but it's the yeah. way you discover stuff now either on a, a dance download site or it could be on a streaming site you know mm. and stuff getting represented all the time whether it's on compilations or playlists so it's quite good yeah okay. <clears throat> that you might miss something but then you kind of you can mm. discover it again you know so what, what is it you're working on at the moment then what's the kind of new releases that are coming out uh oh crikey um well on my label, on Big Love, we just released um, a single by a guy called Birdie uh-huh. called Something for the Weekend. Um, and I think that's the first, yeah, that's the first single that's gone through Defected, where I've done, you know, where it's going through them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that did really well. And we've just got a new one that's gone out, which is um, an 80s track called One Man by Chanel. Okay. Great. Which some of the older heads will know. Um, but it was a really big record. And it was like Frankie Knuckles was involved in the original and Dave Morales and um, Eric Cupper. So Eric Cupper's reproduced it, basically. She's resung it. She still sounds really good. Mm-hmm. She sounds amazing, actually. Um, and then Michael Gray's done a remix as well. So we're just um, promoting that at the moment on, on Big Love. And then the one that came before that was uh, my single called A Better Place with Kathy Brown. And that also okay. did really well. When I'm number one on track source in the disco chart. So, um, you know, vocal records, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really enjoying going back in the studio and whether it's a and R in records or making records myself, but just mm-hmm. actually working on vocal records and new songs and working with musicians and, um, yeah, just getting stuck in. I think there's yeah. a good, good scene at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. You yeah. definitely sound like a very busy man. You're keeping a, keeping a, spending a lot of plates there. <laughs> yeah well that's just the big love label so you know um but with defected there's there's so much going on you know obviously with glitter box um we've had a really good one run with shapeshifters mm-hmm. um and they're working towards an album so the last single they did was with billy porter 
finally ready that right, was yeah, right. massive and he's obviously like mega superstar really going mm. off for him in the moment if anyone's seen the that program pose um yeah, yeah. it's got a massive yeah. following Vogans, the Vogan one is it about the new york vote yes yeah, so it's all about the ballroom scene right. and the voguing scene that's right um, yeah. it's really good really good soundtrack i mean it, it's Brilliant. really well done they know their stuff on that program so yeah, um yeah. That was just bizarre. He just contacted us. He just contacted Glitterbox and said, I want to make a record. Because he obviously be enjoyed... Seamus, now you're saying that, honestly, I, about a week ago, it just dawned on me and I thought, is that the guy from, from, from that uh, episode? Yeah. And it just dawned on me out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from. I thought, surely that can't be the same. And I just thought, no, I'm just, I must have been making something up. But is that actually the, the same, di- same guy then? Yeah. The very same. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So that was just bizarre because... Yeah. Years and years ago, he did actually, um, he did have a music career and he was, he was signed to a major label doing right. R&B stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, so the, and so the guy could really sing yep. and he just contacted us and he liked what we were doing. And then it was kind of like, we looked at the roster and thought, well, who's, you know, the biggest acts on the label is Shapeshifters and put the two together and then um, they came up with Finally Ready. <laughs> hey. That says magic was made. It's a crack. Yeah, it just brilliant. happened. It was like here's the track, and then yeah. the song was written, and that was it. So yeah, so that's all really exciting. And we've got Horsemeat Disco as well. They're doing some great stuff with um, Kathy Sledge, and they've got a new single out now with um, um, oh Dames Brown, and I can't remember the album's name now. I've forgotten the name. Um, Amy Douglas, that's it, Amy Douglas, who's amazing from New York. Yep. Um, Message to the People, that's the new single. And um, there's also an album that's dropping from them. So there's a lot of um, real A&R stuff that's going on, working with, you know, singers and songwriters and producers and then yep. actually, you know, planning a release schedule and trying to line up the single so that it all builds into the promotion of the album, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. And um, yeah, I could talk to you about this stuff forever. It's just, it's, it's really a, exciting. It's a really incredible time for, I think just for dance music in general, because it's just that beautiful merge between the live and the electronic just seems like it's really came full circle, hasn't it? It's an incredible time. I've never been so inspired in a long time anyway. Yeah, it's good. I, I think there was... Um, you know, I think there was a time when it, the music got really, really serious. Yeah. It all got very techy and very minimal and very blokey. And, you know, um, it was like the fun. Eh? Mo- moody faces, very moody, very serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, yeah, just a lot of that. And I just think it all got really serious yeah. and the fun had gone out of it. And um, I think what had happened was when, I remember actually when Defected um, started their party in the beef at a club called boom right which didn't last long it only lasted a couple of years but it was re- it was close to um pasha in the beefer yep. and um basically long story short the owner said to simon dunmore he said look do you want to do another night and they literally had two weeks to think of another night and they had this idea for glitter box mm-hmm. um, i think it was called they came up they were going to call it glitter ball and then somebody suggested glitter box and um it was like, right, we're going to just play disco, we're going to play classic house, and yeah. it's just going to be more uplifting and fun, you know, and a bit of a throwback to the older days, you know, when yeah. there was a lot of vocal house around. Like, basically, like when Defected first started, yep. and I was working there 20 years ago, and we were putting out records like, you know, Soul Searcher and Powerhouse, and 
because at the time the climate, I mean, those records were going into the pop charts. That was just the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so long story short, that night started at boom and I think it ran there for a couple of years and then it just, that was it. It just grew and it morphed into the label and events and everything. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing how big Clutter Boxes became and like what, what it's became in such a relatively short period of time as well, you know. It's absolutely massive. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's five years. It might be longer than it might be longer than five years now. Um and I think when they Melvo Baptiste got involved and you know <clears throat> um started doing the radio show as well, mm-hmm. it was just joining all the dots together, you know, like the events, the radio show, and then the label you know mm-hmm. yeah. and it all kind of it all kind of feeds into its itself you know so there's a lot there i think what's phenomenal about it is it's scooped up the younger generation which is which is so inspiring i think there's a lot of youngsters all taking notice now of that music now and that it's, it's like you say it's joined the dots with a whole new whole new audience really hasn't it yes it's mad i, I i'm really surprised by it because yeah <clears throat> i think when the sort of um like, well actually when the disco re-edits kind of scene came around. Yep. I remember hearing about that many years ago and thinking, and hearing about people and I was like, oh, right, so these guys do re-edits and stuff. You can't buy it. It's probably on their SoundCloud page, but they, they've created careers mm-hmm. out of re-editing records, right? And I found it a bit bizarre at the time. Yep. Um, they're not actually producing records, they're just doing re-edits, but it's like the stuff they were doing, whether it was obscure or it was really well-known stuff, I guess they were making it more playable for today's dance floor. So it would stand up against other records that you play. Yeah. And um, I think it was like, so the older heads that already knew music were probably like buying into it thinking, well, great, I can play this to a new audience and it sounds, you know, sonically better. Yep. And then also, I guess the people that were listening to that, that stuff was a lot of younger people who don't know that music and it's all brand new to them because they, they didn't grow up with disco you know i think when i when i was growing up it was <clears throat> you know when i was 10 years old i was probably aware of it and um you know if you're born like i don't know 10 if you were born like 20 years ago then you really missed out on that so mm-hmm. they've been reintroduced to it and i think what i saw that i was really surprised by was we did the print works and we last year well you know new year's eve and new year news day and we did defected on one of those days and and um glitter box in the other and if i get it right i think new year's day or new year's eve i think was glitter box and then new year's day was defected and mm-hmm. i couldn't believe how many young people were there on new year's eve it was absolutely mobbed with young people like 20 year olds and upwards and then you had people there that could have been their parents But it was predominantly younger people, and I was just like really amazed, and that was really refreshing. And that's you know, it's a massive venue, thousands and thousands of people. So um, that's really inspiring. Definitely, yeah. I think it's probably one of the most inspiring times time for for dance music now. It's just the merge of the live music, the live artists, and everything together is just it's phenomenal. And I think a lot of what DJs from the from the mid 90s kind of early 2000s now they're focusing more on the live orchestras the live touch and trying to capture that magic from what they've learned over the years and it's just i think it's just came together full circle and it's it's a it's an amazing time good vibes all around i think yeah really, it's really good 
So you've yep. been working as an A&R man for a long time as well, Seamus. How, how do you think that whole kind of side of things has changed over maybe the last 10 or 15 years with the rise of social media and all that? Do you think is a not a change in the way that you maybe discover new music and things like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the way that you find music, I mean, you know, <laughs> like years ago, Christ, there wasn't that. Do you know what I mean? So in a way, <clears throat> when you think about it, like, that's a really good thing. So for discovering new people and music and for people to be discovered right now, yeah, it's a really good time, isn't it? Because mm. that's it. Whereas before, you know, if you were kind of like some guy and you were based in Slovenia in Eastern Europe, you know, it was much harder to get discovered because yeah, yeah. how did you get your music out there? To be, how did you contact people? You know, like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. For, for, it's for crazy. a guy. For a guy like yourself, Seamus, how, what, what uh, kind of advice would you have for people possibly trying to break into the social media-driven world and try and get through to someone like yourself? What, what's the, how should they go about it, really? Any advice for guys like that? I mean, you know, you, well, you contacted me through social media. Yeah, yeah. That works. Yeah. Um, I Got think, you know, that's the thing. You just like, um, I mean, I get a lot of people contacting me, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook Messenger or, you know, Christ, Twitter. Yeah. Not so much on Twitter, but you know, or they'll email me, but I get people contacting me all over the shop. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can contact people. I think the thing is now with social media and stuff, it's a lot easier for people to get attention. And I think also the way that the music industry is, um, it's a lot easier for people to get the music out there. Doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, there's, there's, a le there's less of a filter system. So there's a lot of noise now and it can be harder to be discovered. So you might self-release something and it might actually be good, but mm -hmm. it's lost. <laughs> it gets lost because you might not be able to promote it and compete against all the other records. And if you're not getting into that, I don't know, top 100 of a specific genre on a dance download site, which yeah. can easily happen, right? Because there's so many releases. It's almost like people aren't going to see your music. Mm-hmm. Whereas years and years ago, it was like, you know, you go in a record shop, the guy behind the counter, he's got a record, even if it's by someone that nobody's heard of before, if it mm -hmm. sounds really good, yep. that guy's going to play it to you yep. and it's going to sell it to you, you know, and, it, and that's how records used to sell from new unknown artists. You know, you could mm -hmm. press up a white label, you could go around uh, and sell records out the back of your car. Yeah. <laughs> quite literally yeah. um you know it might be you going i mean i did it a couple of times you might and i bought records off people that way as well like okay i don't know you but this actually sounds good yeah. they might give you 10 or 15 copies on sor sale or return so yeah. you've got nothing to lose mm -hmm. you sell them oh bring them up give me some more and next thing you know yes a record like that just snowballed you know that, yeah. like i remember r.i.p groove um that record that was how, because I used to work with the guy who made it, Tim Deluxe, and that was how that record came about. It was just being sold out of the back of a van, <laughs> going around to shops. No one had heard of the act, but the record was really hot. It sold and sold and sold until it got picked up by, I think, FFRR, you know, oh. and hit the pop charts. So, reason. so it started from the back of a van? <laughs> yeah, completely, yeah. It was from the back of a van, you know. Um, so what I'm saying is there's different ways of going about it. And I think when I first got into A&R was when I went to Slip and Slide, which was back in 1998, um, it was very much like people would need to send a cassette into you um, or you might, you might pick up a white label or there might be a record that you heard 
from another like from America and you might go well let's sign it let's license it and and yeah. remix it you know like a record like the Lacey Hideaway that was you know a nice New Jersey garage vocal record until Slip and Slide picked it up and went right oh what can we do with this let's get Deep Dish to remix it and next thing you know it's become a massive record yeah yeah and that's A&R that's somebody having it the the idea of <clears throat> just reinventing the record yeah. with a completely yeah, yeah. different sort of mix. So A&R I think is still relevant and yep. you know, that's what I do. And that's what, that's what we do within the defective label group. And there's probably about five or six of us that all do A&R, mm -hmm. you know, and overseeing different labels. And then we all communicate and talk together and yeah. share ideas. So we, we are very A&R driven. It's not just about <clears throat> receiving demos from people and going, let's put it out. There's a lot yeah. more, sometimes that happens, but a lot of the time there's a lot more work that goes into it. Yeah. I think the standard that you guys have set, isn't it? You just need to keep hitting those sort of levels now because it's like we see Glitterbox, it's blowing up big time, isn't it? So uh, it takes all your knowledge to keep that fresh, keep that moving forward. And you know, you guys are doing an incredible job. Can you say that? Right. Uh, Seamus, what, what's some of the, the biggest influences then that got you into it then? Taking it back to how, where did it begin for you and what were some of the influences at the time for you then? Whoa. Um, that's back a that's long way. Mind, that's your mind back a little bit. <laughs> it's, we're going back. Time. I'm we're just going way back. <laughs> yeah, we're going way back. Um, the thing is, you know, I just wish, because I'm going back to the mid, you know, when I was first DJing, it was the, it was the mid 80s. And um, it was before house music could hit these shores. Yeah. So we were playing records, but we didn't realize these records were going to lead to this thing called garage not uk garage but before that what we called mm -hmm. garage and and house music you know we didn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know we were playing records mm -hmm. um whether it's colonel abraham's or strafe set it off or serious intent you know you don't know these mm -hmm. kinds of records and um so at the time i was playing a lot of music because i'd be playing that and i'd be playing hip-hop and soul and funk and james brown and you know it was all mixed up at the time in london we were very it was very mixed, whereas, yep. you know, Manchester that had Hacienda, they really <clears throat> jumped on the house thing really quickly, yep. you know. And um, so I had a lot of influences. And I guess for me, it was, it was black music. It was all of that, you know, it was soul yeah. to soul. It was what Barry K. Sharp was doing and Norman Jay. And then it was like some of the early things. That, there was a night called High on Hope that Norman Jay did. It was a house night, you know, uh, it was Norman Jay and Frankie Fonsett. So... There was Paul Chavalander, so the Dingwalls, so there, there was all this stuff going on around me. Yep. I just wish that um, back then I probably had got into the idea of producing music quicker or learn, you know, learn how to make music on a computer. I didn't yeah. really <clears throat> figure it out. I kind of got into that by mistake, right? You know. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the people that really influenced me. I think once I got the bug, and really there was a point when <clears throat> you had to really focus on one thing it was like right the way the music scene's going now yep. you're either hit r&b hip-hop or you go down the house route and i went down the house route in the late um 80s mm -hmm. and then um it was just what was coming out of new york for me really it was all like masters at work and roger sanchez and todd terry and that like really and kerry chandler you know all that stuff just <clears throat> super duper influenced me and mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was that was it. American house music is what really influenced me. The you know? Yeah. 
So how, how did the, the kind of journey into production come about then? You were saying you kind of you felt like you missed the boat quite early on then. How did you get into learning the production side of things? Well, I, um, I met somebody who was, um, he was a programmer for some people. Like he was programming for, I think he programmed for Soul to Soul and Massive Attack. And um, he used to be a drummer in a band. And then he was like, he got into the drumming program, um, drum machines and... Yep got into that side of it and I met him for a friend when I was working in a record shop and then um, long story short, he just asked me, he started doing some remixes and next thing I know I was in a massive studio in the West End and we were remixing Lisa Sansfield. Right. <laughs> and that was around 1993 and I'd gone in and, and before we'd gone in, we did some pre-production. So it was like, <clears throat> I had some records and I was like, look, I like this, I like that. And I started playing the stuff I liked, which then was very much, Masters at Work and, and Roger Sanchez and whatever. And um, it was, I guess I was fast-tracked into the world of production because I didn't realise you could make music where you have someone that could actually program for you and you could get a keyboard player in. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, oh, wow. So I've got these ideas in my head and these guys can make it happen. Yeah. And I think at the time I had a, I bought an MPC 60 so I could sort of program beats and, and little loops. But this was like, to be honest with you, I didn't know at the time, but this is how the re- these records were being made in New York anyway. You know, yeah, people yeah, like Master at Work were working with uh, uh, keyboard players and amazing engineers and yeah. making it happen. You know, there's a lot of people that goes into the process of making these records. So yeah. after doing that, and I got that insight into sort of, even just the, the seeing how you start something and how you complete something. You know, mm-hmm. it's that process because you can be working on something. You is it finished? Is it finished? And it's like, well, look, you work on it, and it's like, it's finished now. We've made it. This we made a complete record. It sounds complete. And so from that, I then started messing around, and yeah, I just that, that's what got me going. Just starting off doing a remix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gave me a real, a really good insight. Whereas before that, I'd been messing around on my own at home, making little demos and. I might have been listening to Merck at the time or Kerry Chandler or mm-hmm. John Robinson and trying to emulate what they were doing. So literally it was copying people. Yeah, yeah. And trying to do what they did. Yep. You're thinking, how do they make that sound? Oh, what well, they've done, they've sampled a chord and you play the chord on one key and that's how you make that sound. And, if it, and doing that sort of stuff and talking to other people um, and I was doing little demos, but like I say, after that, after I had the experience of doing that remix and working with like, a really good engineer and a really good mm. keyboard player. Yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, I can make records like this. Yeah. So um, you can call it cheating if you want, but that's just kind of how I influence. We'll call it influence, Seamus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just keeps moving. Music will just keep moving on. Look where we are now, you know, it's what we're talking about earlier on. It's just came full circle again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you're making, you know, like a lot of these kids now that are making, you know, tech house you know yeah. records they can pretty much you know you, you can make them in the box and um yeah yeah you know with plugins and all the rest of it and uh you know but if you're making music i mean I, listen i'm under the de- defected umbrella you know we do release tech house records and we do mostly house music and yeah um but personally i i obviously love the stuff that's got vocals i like the sort of musicality um but yeah if you can't it's if you can't play a bass you can get pay for a bass player or you can, you know, yeah, there's yeah. different ways of making records. So I love that process of, um, 
making records and working with really good people. But at the end of the day, it's your vision. It's your dream. You've got the idea of what you want to do, you know? So I always say that to people. It's like, listen, even if you can only produce 50, 50% of the records yourself and you have to get help, then there's nothing wrong with that. You're just going to make the record better. Yeah. You know, but it can just take a little bit of investment to do that. So I think there's probably a number of DJs now that, yeah, they need, it costs them money to make records and they're probably thinking, well, why am I going to make a record? I, I can't get any gigs, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I think if you're making music, is what you do, you've got to keep on doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Just, just ride the storm, you know? Definitely. I think with the technology that's available now as well, it's a lot more accessible for people now than what it would have been like maybe even 10 or 15 years ago to actually kind of you know, sit down and make a track as well. Yeah, completely. I mean... You know, I can remember like in the, I think in the early noughties when um, a guy, an engineer I was working with and he bought the Yamaha O2R mixing desk and it was like, that was a massive deal because on that mixing desk, you got total recall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So before that, you didn't have total recall. Now it's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> total recall wasn't possible. Like, you know, you went to the studio, <laughs> you had to write down all the settings and it was like, <laughs> would that you know, <laughs> You couldn't just get the mix back to where it was. It was like you had yeah, to do yeah. it and do all the passes. And it was like, that was your one shot. And after that... You couldn't just click like save us. No, yeah, exactly, right? Pop in paste. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you come from that background, you know yeah. um, how much easier it is now to make music. And the way the music's made, I mean, um, back then it was very rudimentary. And I'm just amazed. When I listen to, you know a Todd Terry record from the eighties. And you think all he was using was like an Akai S 950 or something, mm-hmm. which had like a couple of seconds memory. Example, yeah, yeah. And he made records that still today will rock a crowd and sound really big and exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like real craftsmanship. So when I think of people like Todd Terry and what they used to do, it's just ridiculous. So yeah. In, in answer to your question, let's just maybe think of something like, um, when I talk about being influenced by people, I suppose it was also hip hop that influenced me. Okay. Yeah. Because there was, you know, the way that Todd Terry was making those records was completely a hip hop attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was just taking loads of samples and chopping them up and cutting them up. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like uh, the approach that other producers were taking, you know, like a Frankie Knuckles, for example, which was very classic, faithful, like, songs and I were doing remakes or covers or it was a a more traditional method of making music but the way that Mm. yeah the way that Todd Terry did it was was ridiculous and then Kenny Dope when he came on the scene so again I think hip-hop was a massive influence on the way that records were being made and the machines that were being used it was all Mm. very much the MPC 60 yeah yeah. the EMU SP 1200 it was just that sort of um crunchy low megabyte you know mm. low bytes it was like a really crusty rudimentary sound that was coming out of those machines and the way that you would probe them was like you, you use them like a drum machine yeah, yeah so yeah. that was another big thing i think hip-hop really influenced house music at the time when changed we go back to those changed, it changed the game a little bit hip-hop then and how you can approach production yeah completely yeah. yeah, I think there was a lot of uh, disco influence and a lot of hip hop as well. So the amount of disco samples and stuff that were used across hip hop, you know, like even going way back before that, you've got it takes it back to that disco influence again, which again comes back full circle again, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. They were mixing the two, weren't they? And I think, um, yeah, the thing because I can remember, like when I 
was um, I suppose in, like in, in the eighties that was my thing, right? That was my entry into dance music. It was definitely hip hop because mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty two, if you were a young teenager, when hip hop and electro funk hit the UK, that was it. it was it was all over that's what you would have got into mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's just like when the acid house thing kicked in you know that was like the next thing that came in that would have swept the imagination of <clears throat> um youth culture at the time so it was very much hip-hop and electro funk mm-hmm. and i can remember you know <clears throat> buying records and um i'd buy disco records but not for the rec not for the actual track it was for the breaks yeah oh, yeah yeah. You know, like a track like Scratching by Disco Machine or I'd buy two copies of, um, I say buy, I used to nick a few records back then. But <laughs> in, the, in the hip-hop scene, it was like, like if you did graffiti, you basically nick spray cans. If you were <laughs> yeah, a yeah. budding DJ, you nicked records, <laughs> right? That's just and, um, <laughs> yeah. And um, so I would, have, I would have like got two copies of Sheet, Good Times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good tune, but it was more about the break. It was all yeah. about the break. So we were cutting up the breaks back then from disco records, you know. And oh, then, yeah, yeah. But then you started actually going, oh, actually, even funk records. You, we'd buy funk records, <clears throat> cut the breaks. And then eventually you started listening to the record thinking, oh, it's actually a really good record, uh-huh. you know. Um, the same with disco. You started thinking, oh, actually, it's a really good record. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it got us more into the, into the actual original records that yeah. way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Cool. See, over over the years, Seamus, is there a few albums that you've listened to from even from those days that you'd still today, if you ever get out of that room any day, <laughs> anytime soon? That it's getting dark in this room, isn't it? It's getting darker. <laughs> it's getting a bit spooky <laughs> looking there, actually. Yeah, I'll turn a light on there. <laughs> uh, what, what, what albums would you say that have stuck with you over the years? What are your go-to, maybe a couple albums that you still crack out to this day and put on? That may not be meant to do with what you're doing now, but is there still... What, I don't know why that, in, that inspires me, but it does... <laughs> I think I've got, a, <clears throat> I've actually got a picture back there. You can't see it, but it's like someone made it for me. They asked me what are my favourite albums. Right. Somebody beat me they, to it. Somebody hey? beat me to it. Somebody's beaten me to it. Yeah, it's great. So, I mean, there's so many albums that I love, right? But I sort of picked, I think it was like three times, one, I don't know, it's like 18 albums or something. Right. And they're in this little disc. So, in there, mm-hmm. there'll be Marvin Gaye, What's Going On album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's just like... That's a must. Ridiculous record. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, have a look there. Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, another amazing album. Mm. There's also, to mix it up, there's Fingers Inc. Oh, yeah, yeah, but Chicago. Yeah, yeah, which was like an amazing album. Oh. Um, and also, there's loads. Michael Jackson, Off the Wall. Oh, come on. That's, Who's come Michael on Jackson? Now, <laughs> 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 Getting all <laughs> <laughs> I love Off The Wall. What an album that is. That, that would just yeah. Play. What an album. So those kind of albums, you know, they're just yeah. timeless albums, aren't mm-hmm. they? I think, you know, they're just, they sort of, for me, they cross um, boundaries. It's not about, I mean, they are, it's, it's black music, it's soul, it's funk and it's disco and that sort of stuff. But it's so broad that I think people that are in, you know, they just go right across the board. Yeah, you know? Fucking like almost 50 years old as well now, you know what I mean? So you look back at that, it's like... God, yeah. it's incredible to think they're still inspiring us even more so than they ever have 50 years or so on, you know? Half a century. It's crazy. That, <laughs> yeah. So showing it. Yeah, <laughs> I think those, uh, you know, a lot of those albums, they would, you know, especially songs in the key in life and what, what's going on, they were saying stuff that's still really relevant and pertinent to today. You, yeah, yeah. You know, things have changed, but only so much. Yeah. You know? 
So whether they're talking about struggle or whatever, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, they, 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 it's, it's got meaning to it, hasn't it? And so it sort of stands yeah. the test of time, you know? I think albums like that are quite sort of defining for the era as well, you know, they kind of can encapsulate the sound of that period of time type thing, you know, like the likes of Michael Jackson and Marvin Gaye and all, they kind of do, they touch on like the 80s and the 60s and stuff like that and can encapsulate the sound from that time. Yeah, Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. I, and I don't think, I mean, look, there is, I'm not, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound like an old fart and you sort of say, <laughs> oh, it used to be better, but it's just a, a record like an album like Off The Wall yeah, that isn't gonna happen again. You know. Yeah, it, 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 the way music's made now is just different. You know, on there you got like Rod Temberton writing songs, you have got Quincy Jones producing. Yeah, and just a Michael Jackson who's like just a incredible mega superstar, creative genius. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, it's hard to to get that again. There, I mean, then there, there are some amazing artists around today, but I'm just glad I was around when this stuff was going on. Yeah, you know. Stevie Wonder, I mean, again, just a creative musical genius, you know. Yeah. This, um, it still stands the test of time to this very day. Yeah, so it's going to be hard for, you know, people coming along to, to do what they did. Yeah. And the way they did it, you know, like really, you think about Stevie Wonder, that guy was really digging into synthesizers and yeah. drum machines at the really early stage. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's only like Kraftwerk that were doing a yeah. similar thing in Germany. So really early stages of that and it wasn't easy to make that music you know i think what was great about it then as well the musicians were at the absolute top of their game so stevie wonder was just handpicking the absolute best that was out there so they had the choice of the best of the best on every instrument you know what i mean so that what yeah. they were bringing to the table was just it was unbeatable wasn't it <laughs> yeah and now it's a different process i guess a lot of the time you've got one man working in the box yeah. making music electronically you know it, it depends on the kind of music but yeah obviously mm-hmm. when you get that many people involved in a project you've got one person that's engineering the vocals yeah, one yeah. person's engineering drum i mean you've got different people engineering different elements of the music mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> yeah. it's just incredible just the amount of talent that went into making those records that's yeah, exactly why like engineering perfection up. that really is <laughs> Yeah, we could talk music to you all night. I think we don't want to hang on to you too much longer. But uh, maybe just before we go, what 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 can we expect then coming up now? Where are you where are you taking things? What are you hoping that maybe twenty twenty one will bring for you then? And the and defected in Glitterbox. Well, you know, I think I'm hoping that we can get back to doing events. You know, like <clears throat> the next one we've got that's in the diary is um, or in the calendar is defected Croatia. Yeah, so we basically it. just moved. Whatever all the di- all the bookings, whatever was supposed to happen this year, we've yep. moved it to next summer. Um, so we're all hoping that happens and goes ahead. God, yeah. Um, and uh, before that, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. We just need to see how it's going with live events. But you know, I'd love to get get back out there again. It's just it's quite unusual making records and releasing them when you're not getting to play them in front of crowds. You know, yeah, that's yeah, they do. for me is really weird. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it's more about, I think what I'm trying to do is um, spend more time. Yeah, I mean, I've got records I'm working on now. So there's a, a woman called Phoebe Edwards who sang on um, Boogie Tonight for me when I did the new version on Glitterbox last year. Yep. And um, she's also done a track with Melva Baptiste. He did a single called Bad Company that did really well on Glitterbox. Yeah, yeah. And then I've already done two more tracks with her. Um, 
which are both originals. So, um, cause I don't want to just, you know, bad company was a cover boogie tonight's a cover obviously, but then I went in with her and I just, actually I got into doing a bit of songwriting myself. Like Literally. I can't sing for shit and I can't do come up with melodies, but it was like working with singers. Like you can write the lyrics and then, so this is, oh, yeah. that's a good way of doing it, but yep. they come up with a melody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you can, you know, you can write a song, you know, like yeah, yeah. You write the lyrics, whether you approach it as, you know, writing a poem or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you, if you've got the music in place, <clears throat> a lot of time musically, you know, I kind of get an idea from a loop or a, a sample or something that inspires me to, to develop it, you know, and then I end up going, right, I'm going to play it differently and I'll get musicians in and we, we, we play it all. Um, so doing more of that I, and investing more in records, yeah, as yeah. in it costs me more money to make these kinds of records because of the people that are involved, the musicians and the studio time. Um, and um, so, yeah, for me, it's about making more records like that. So I've got a couple with Phoebe Edwards. There's another one I've got and I've got two other tracks I'm working on, which will be a bit more um, like a spoken vocal or a, a, a hook, not necessarily a whole song. So more sort of club tracks. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I have to just stay positive about the whole thing and think, well, look, definitely. You know, even though we're not out there DJing and there's not there's nothing going on in that sense, it's like, well, just keep making music, just keep it keep it going. You know, I want to keep feeding music into into Big Love, and I want Big Love to to grow and develop and be able to sign more records from people, which I've, I've noticed is happening now because yeah. um, it's always been very much about me making records for the label, oh. and now it's like a lot more people are coming to me with demos and stuff. Yeah, um, you're saying that um, Big Love's now part of Defected as well? Is it all kind of linked in yeah, together now? it goes through Defected, just like, you know, I, I also A&R for Sulfuric, um, and yeah. that goes through Defected. So all the promotion and distribution goes through their channels. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's really good, because for years and years, I've just been a one-man band, and now it's, it's, it's getting harder mm-hmm. competing with everybody else, you yeah. know? Yep. Um, if you don't have that sort of social online presence. So now that I know it goes through Big Love, um, Big Love goes through Defected, I don't have to worry about the promotion. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's like the same collaboration process and then in terms of really music, but in terms of the way you can maybe distribute it as well, just having like a big collaboration going on. Yeah, I think, I think it's better to be, you know, in the mix with a bigger, a, a bigger brand on a bigger platform, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it kind of made sense to me. And... Um, yeah, so in amongst records, making records myself and trying to sign records, I'm trying to what I'm trying to do now, where I'm, I've been there for a year, is make records of other people. As in, yeah, if a produ- I talk to a producer like they make a track, I'm trying to do more of the get them together with a songwriter and then find the vocalist for it and doing the real A and R process. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even know what A and R means, which is artist and repertoire. Yeah, yeah, it means you're managing the artist. But you're also managing the repertoire, which is putting those artists together with those singers or those songwriters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. it might be other producers, you know, but actually making records. Yeah. Rather than just waiting for records to arrive in our inbox. It's like, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of that goes on in the camp. I mean, with Horsemeat Disco and um, Shapeshifters and The Vision as well. Mm-hmm. Another amazing act. Um, yeah. It's just Quest Life. You know, all these people have lead, they've all led to either releasing albums or albums are going to be dropping soon. And yeah. there's there's a lot of A and R that goes into that, you know. It's not just delivered to us, but it takes it takes time and money to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it might be that, you know, it's 
the, the records that you sign might not actually be massive hits they might just be really it just might be really good quality music but it's stuff that we love doing and then we have to we probably sign other records that are a bit more commercial a bit more crossover yep. that might come out on defected records but they're the ones that that sell you yeah, know yeah, it yeah. just keeps the whole thing ticking so then you're like okay look we've made a lot of these records or we've got a couple of these that will cross over yep. um then we've got our sort of you know the house stuff that we do on on defective records and DFTD, um, there's stuff that's a bit more selective, a little bit more left of center on classic music. And then we've, we sort of indulge ourselves. I think with Glitterbox, that's a real passion. Yeah. 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 You know, we really indulge ourselves in making those records because it's a lot more time and investment. God. Yeah. But we love it. So it's a real luxury to to do that. I think that love shines through as well, doesn't it? There's something about those the Glitterbox records. There's just you can just feel that love from what you guys are doing in the music. I think it really shines through, definitely. So it's definitely worth the effort. Keep it up, Seamus. We want more of that. Thank you. We'll do, you try. Do, you have, do you ever have time to sleep in between all this? <laughs> we do, but we do work a lot. Yeah, it's just yeah. the way it's because also we're working with um, Americans. You know, you're working with people around the world. Yeah, so, um, but I've, I've been and timetables. Yeah, exactly. But, I, you know, I love my work. We all love our work. We're very lucky. You know, we're really blessed to do what we do. So it's a real privilege. Uh, and you're uh, doing what you're passionate about. That definitely comes through. And the, the end product as well, what you're putting out there. Though, it's like Paul was saying, though, you can feel that love and that passion and what you're putting out there. Yeah, completely. It's not, it's not a nine-to-five job. It never will be. Yeah. I, I know that seemed like a bit of a job interview, Seamus, at the start, but you've sold, <laughs> right? yourself, you've sold yourself well and we'll, uh, we'll put you out your misery. <laughs> You've got the job. I need it. You've got the job. We don't know what the job is yet. John, we'll need to make up a job for Seamus, but you've got the job, all right? All right, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> you need to come to Scotland, I'm afraid, though. Where are you based in Scotland, then? Uh, just outside Glasgow, basically, John. Where you... Okay. So I'm in Paisley. I'm just outside. I'm actually right next to Glasgow Airport. Uh, literally, like, a stone throws away from it. And Paul's right. in Kuruk. I'm down at the beach. I'm down at the, yeah, down at the water. Down the water side. A little kind of seaside town just at the Glasgow, basically. Nice. nice. No, I know some people from Glasgow. I can't understand what they're saying half the time. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been going to try and get a translator on here, but you know, we'll no, you two are fine. no, you're very clear. You two are great, but honestly, it's like you know, it's interesting because some people um, they don't slow because I, I, if I'm talking to people, I slow it down because I can be yeah. very London. Yeah, and I'll speak a bit slower, more deliberately. But some people just don't give a shit. They'll just speak the way they speak. I'm like, I'm only getting half of this. You yeah, know? especially when you're in a club. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Drinks. god. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. This Shall I laugh? I'll laugh. I'll smile. I pretend I, I know what he just said. <laughs> he might just, just he might just said his dad just died or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think the Glasgow accent is quite a thick accent. We try our best to slow it down for everyone, Seamus, because it can. When me and John talk to each other, it's probably like a hundred miles an hour. But we, know, we try our best. Like yeah we do talk quite fast up here actually um Seamus <laughs> I was going to ask you something else just quickly before you go um right. so you've been DJing for what about 30 years now by the sounds of it more than that maybe probably 35 years five years so it's more about the kind of technology side of it so I'm, I'm guessing you must have started on like Technics way back when around the, on that kind of setup yeah but to be honest with you um when I started well, <laughs> um well, I mean, Technics decks are really expensive, right? So a lot of guys I knew that were sort of learning how to mix and scratch and stuff would have got 
some sort of direct drive turntables that were pretty rubbish, but they were mm -hmm. cheap, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you how I started. I started with uh, a, my parents' old music centre. Right. So not a hi-fi, but it was this sort of long thing. We had a turntable, a radio in the middle, and a, a cassette deck, right? Oh, yeah, okay. So I had a music centre, and I had a, a portable cassette on the side, yeah? Right. And I used to just, like, play something on the cassette, and then I would get the record on my headphones, and then I'd, and it was belt drive, right? There's no pitch control, but yeah. you could, you could wind uh, it with your finger or you could hold the side of the platter to slow it down. It wouldn't slur because it's not direct drive, right? It's oh, belt yeah. drive. Yeah, oh. yeah. So that's how I used to mix. So I'd be mixing the two things together for like two or three minutes and my mates would be in the room watching me like yeah. amazed. And then I, and then a friend of mine who's very clever said, you could actually record that. So I plugged the microphone into the music center and it would record the record and it would record the cassette that was playing oh, in the room. So they, they oh. weren't coming through the same speaker system, but it's like you could hear them in the room. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, okay. And that's how I started. And then... <coughs> Quite have a I gentle a touch with the belt drives as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, they have a gentle oh, touch, yeah. But then I worked out <coughs> how to scratch. I just taught myself how to cut and scratch. Mm. And, um, and that was it. Awesome. So that was how I started with that sort of really... Re and before that, it was actually doing pause button mixes. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Oh, pause oh. button mixes, you know, like... And then... So you'd be trying to tape stuff off the radio and chop out the, the presenter. <laughs> then you realise that you could actually play a record, record it, revert, you know, wind it back, record that bit again, and then do edits. And like, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Because it was the, yeah, yeah. the if you had the right sort of um, cassette with the piano keys, what we used to call piano keys on a cassette player, and then you could just do these pause button edits. Yeah, like, yeah. That's okay. how I got into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you look at things now and you can just be obviously now it's a lot easier with technology but back then oh. it was yeah it was it was a lot harder yeah i think that's that what, so what do you think of the technology now then like from where you've came from to where the it's technology amazing i think now, it's amazing it's amazing yeah i think it's amazing i think it's enabled um it's obviously enabled a lot more people that probably wouldn't have become djs to become djs mm -hmm. yeah um because obviously you know you could buy <clears throat> i don't know ableton or I can't remember what these things are called now, tractor, you yeah. know, and it, it virtually mixes it for you, right? So, <clears throat> and I think that's good and bad because I think, you know, a lot of people don't understand the, the, the basics of mixing. Yeah. You know, they just think, oh, I can do it. But I mean, when I, if I listen to mix, I've got mixtapes. I think I've got a couple of drawers here. I've got cassettes from literally 35 years ago, mixtapes. Right. If I play them now, I'm definitely going to cringe listening yeah. to them because <laughs> i want to hear that oh like the mixing might be all right yeah um but i was probably mixing things for two or three minutes but if i listen to it now it sounds god awful because i was probably mixing two things that are out of key you know yeah and all not in the place and all that yeah and then you kind of work out once you do work out it's like all oh, right so it takes a while to work out how you should make music and where you should mix it and mm -hmm. and all the rest of it but i think yeah i think the technology is amazing now and you know it's amazing that you can literally just turn up a club with a USB stick or fly around the world. Yeah, with your thousand tunes. <laughs> yeah, and not carrying the record boxes about. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I did a lot of that. You know, I've got one inch shorter than the other. <laughs> Definitely, because from carrying, I was always carrying records on one side, you know. Sure does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, um, but it's amazing because it's just young people today have no idea of that, that, that can, they can't conceive the idea that 
you DJ'd and you didn't have a Pioneer mixer that's got effects on it. Yeah. Or CD, <laughs> CDJs that tell you the BPM. And it's like, yeah. how did you used to mix? Well, we used to mix with records and there were no effects units. Oh, yeah. I you think know, with the records, it forces you to use your ears, doesn't it? I think me and John caught the tail end of, we started on records as well, and it forces you to use your ears, and you're using the shade of the grooves for breakdowns, and it really, yeah. you, you zone in that little bit more, I think, doesn't it, compared to relying on your eyes on waveforms? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's hard though, right? If you go, like, you know, there's been a few times I've done vinyl sets, yeah. and I'm like, whoa, this is, how did I play records? Because so many of them just fade out. <laughs> Uh, like house records they just fade out at the end or yeah yeah there aren't 16 bars of drums on the intro it's like i don't know it starts with some pads or mm-hmm. it starts off the beat or it's just the records weren't made in yeah. such a dj friendly way so you had to be and then i remember i remember like buying i'd literally buy a record <clears throat> that i didn't like but it might have had some really good bonus beats on it and right. I can, right i can use that and i can play it in between the records that are hard to mix because mm-hmm. This one's got a pad synth intro. There's no drums, and this one fades out. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of how it used to be. If you go back to the days of <clears throat> yeah, Ron Hardy and Frankie Knuckles and Larry Levan, and obviously they were doing a lot of that because yeah. those old records were That's not cool. made the way they're made today. So you would yeah. use records in between yeah. a percussion record or whatever, and you had to be more creative in the way you did stuff. We, we had Jesse Saunders on a, f- a couple of months ago, and he was telling us he used to bring a drum machine up on stage to blend these records over with a live drum machine right there and then, you know, just because for that exact reason, basically. For that kind of bridging between the records. Take yeah. the tempo, all his tempo down to something that maybe was uh, hiking the tempo up using a, yeah, the live drum machine in between mixes, basically. Yeah. I think when you're limited, you make the most of it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You sort of think... <clears throat> you know that's what they used to do yeah and um so i think you know nowadays um there can be a lot less creativity you know and even me probably i mean I, I might be more creative in other ways but when i think back to the definitely like the the mid 90s um and i was really playing a lot every weekend and i was playing around the world and um you know you had to be creative because the way these records were made you had to do, otherwise you were just going to be doing some horrible key clash mixes and whatever. And I was always really into the technical side of it, you know, yeah, and yeah. using acapellas and stuff. So you had to be a lot more creative and mm-hmm. and mix it up. And I think nowadays people can be a lot, you can be lazy, you can loop stuff on, loop things up, can't you, and play the next record. And yep. But it's good. It makes it, hopefully it makes it nicer for people to listen to, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> not hearing key clash mixes or things going out of time. but that's it you know I did a I did a vinyl set recently we did a four to the floor so four to the floor is like one of the imprints we got under defected which is basically for a lot of old catalogue stuff that we pick up and then we release it on the four to the floor imprint sometimes Mm -hmm. with new mixes and whatever and um, so we've got a few things coming out now on four to the floor where we've had them remixed things from the 90s you know Mm -hmm. yep and um so I did this vinyl set. I had to really plan it because a lot of these records, like I say, they're not DJ friendly. Yeah. yeah. And then I did, and even when I was doing a mix, uh, a record jumped. You know, it was like it was a live stream, so you can't go back and re-record it. Luckily, it didn't jump while I was mixing another record. Yeah, that is a killer. <laughs> and that can happen, right? Yeah, like just yeah, a little yeah. little grain of dirt, and that record can jump while you're mixing. Everyone thinks you're a complete Obviously. idiot. Yeah, you messed up the mix. It's like, yeah, but that one jumped or, you yeah. know, 
that doesn't that silly do bird came over and jogged the record or that drunk bloke you know you you get that as well right so <laughs> yeah someone jogged it so you know mixing vinyl is it's it's like being live on air it's, yeah, it's yeah. i think it's so different to playing stuff on cdjs it's there's so much can go wrong mm-hmm. yeah you know? definitely um, but Always we yeah that, we all come from that era hands on feel of vinyl as well just because been actually it's not the same with the CDJs. I never found like they're still really good with the CDJs, but it was never quite the same as vinyl. You always felt a bit more yeah. hands-on with the vinyl, I found. Yeah, it took me yeah. a while to get used to that. It took me a little while to just take it beyond the, I don't know, to get a hold of the CD. It just felt kind of strange at first, that, didn't it? Until you get your yeah. head around it. I, I felt that. I remember when they first, when they first came out, um, we had one in the office of Defected. So when I first worked for Defected, like, yeah, 20 years ago, when it was, yeah. um, and Roger Sanchez was an ambassador for Pioneer and um, we had one in the office and I remember I did a, I was playing at Ministry of Sound and it must have been around, I don't know, 2001, something like that. Anyway, and I was, and then I was mixing, right? So I used to mix on, you know, I'd be mixing on three decks. I might have an acapella there and I'm doing stuff. And <clears throat> this guy came along who worked for Pioneer, I didn't know, and he saw me playing and then there was a point when, Sandy Rivera, I think it had been on before me, and then he wanted to come back on and play with me, right? Like his manager sort of said to me, I was thinking, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm quite enjoying myself. <laughs> and then I was, I was playing and playing, because then you used to play like three or four hours in, in the not main sure. room. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought, oh, I should be nice. Okay, so I, I, I said, all right, he can come and play with me again, right? So we were doing like one for one. I'd play one, he'd play one, and it went really well, actually. Yeah. And we were doing all that stuff, and then... Yeah, this guy from Pioneer got in touch afterwards and said, listen, do you want to, um, you could also be like an ambassador. I mean, they had Roger Sanchez, who's shit hot. I mean, he's mm-hmm. pretty yeah. amazing because he comes from that hip hop background where he can mix and scratch and he's very technical. Yeah. Um, and they got me as a sort of like a sort of uh, uh, a smaller ambassador. So <clears throat> it was a case of basically them going, well, look, here's, here's some Pioneer equipment. Can you just make sure you bring it? with you so if i went to play in let's say switzerland for example they didn't have these in the clubs yeah they had turntables or they had those little silver pioneer cds yeah the little ones right yeah. and um so i'd bring my pioneer cdj what was it 900 or whatever it was called i got the first ever one was yeah. it 1000 1000 yeah yeah and um they gave me a bag for it and I'd turn up and plug it in and everyone would be amazed and looking at me <laughs> plugging this. And I only had one, right? So I had to sort of use, <laughs> I was playing records and yeah. I had this one CDJ and on that CDJ, I could do little tricks like use the hot cues or loop stuff, you know. Yeah. And then um, even then I was like playing records and, you know, a few things on CD. And the guy from Pioneer, he was like, listen, you know, no, he said, this time next year, you'll only be playing on the Pioneers, on the CDJs and CD. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm still going to be playing records. I'm still going to be playing records. And yeah. I think within a couple of years, it yeah. was all <laughs> the CD, you know, it was all on yeah. the CD, because then we used to burn CDRs. It was all CDJs. Yeah, and I right. pretty much stopped buying vinyl. I bought a few bits, but really, it was like everything that was being sent to me was was on CDs. But I was yeah. like you, even the sound of it, I found, I found the sound like less warm than vinyl. Yeah, yeah took me a while to, to get used to it. It took me a while to, you know, to warm to it, you know, yeah. excuse the pun. Um, but yeah, it's, um, if you come from that, old, if you can do that, it's like my youngest son, right? I know he wants to learn how to drive and it's like, 
my oldest child, my daughter, she's going to go for a test and she's just going to, to make it easy. She's going to learn how to drive an automatic. She's going to do a test in automatic. And I'm saying to my son, don't do that. Yeah. Learn how to drive a manual. Mm-hmm. It's the same with playing DJing. It's like, if you're going to DJ, I'd say, learn how to mix on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like the equivalent. Because if you can do that, you can do everything. Whereas if you just learn the digital side of it, what if yeah. you do want to play vinyl in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the you're way just going to find it a nightmare. The way I kind of compare it as well is, like, I'll play computer games, but when I play a computer game, I'd like to put it to the hardest level and test myself to the absolute limit. I don't know what that is. Yeah, so yeah. it's the same when it comes to mixed on decks. I like to test myself on the hardest format, basically, you know, <laughs> record. So I know it sounds like a mad comparison, but if I'm playing a computer game, I'm not going to put the cheats on the first go. You know what I mean? I'm going to, like, <laughs> uh, I want, I'll put it to the hardest stage possible and I'll try and beat it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a good analogy. <laughs> so I don't know what I've got with that, but it's, it's been there for a while. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to myself. I, I think that you know, because there's certain DJs, aren't like Theo Parrish. You know, he only plays vinyl and he goes to the club beforehand and he makes sure the sound system's right and he's got the deck set up and everything. You know, yeah, that's how he plays. He only plays vinyl, um, and that's great and that works for him. And I, for me and a lot of other people, it's just not practical. It's like mm. it's really not practical. Yeah, um, you turn, and then the, the turntables fall into bits and the, the tone arms flopping off. That's what you usually get left with. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be a snob about it, but I think when you've got a lot of the sort of like the Berlin crew and you've got those DJs there that only play vinyl, that's that's yeah. very much a sort of. It could be to do with the sound. It could be to do with the feel. It could mm-hmm. be about trying to keep vinyl alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think there's probably an element of. You know, you're not a real DJ unless you can play on vinyl. Um, I'm not saying that's true, but I can see why they might have that attitude where, look, I'm playing vinyl. I'm playing in the club for five or six hours with vinyl. You know, it's like... It's a test. That's a test. Mm -hmm. You could could play vinyl for five or six hours and you could play it in a shit way or you play in a really creative, artistic, creative way. You know, especially with older records, like we said, they're not... They're not DJ friendly. If you're playing a disco record, that thing's time-wise, it's fluctuating all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know. Really this, this year, I think vinyl is the first year it's actually outsold CDs. Is that right? Did I read that somewhere? I think this year, vinyl has officially outsold the CD. Yeah, I mean, I'll give an example where defective uh, now. I mean, we're looking at doing... Um, we did the Dr. Packer volume two of different strokes album yeah yeah um we didn't even do cd we just did vinyl it's crazy isn't it? it's like the cd market has shrunk i think there is a cd market yeah um you know like friends of mine will buy a lot of stuff like if they want i don't know songs in the key of life stevie wonder album or something like that all like, i can see you've got pink floyd on the wall there yeah um, they might just go oh, i'll just buy a reissue cd because it's obviously lossless wav quality yeah yeah and they'll just buy that, you know, they'll buy all the music that comes out on CDs because it's, and then they'll like burn it into their computer and then they can play it digitally, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got those kind of buyers and then you've got, I think, younger buyers. What we notice with Defected and all, all our labels is there's just a lot of people now that they want to buy vinyl. Whether they, I think a lot, they don't even play it. I think they just file it away in their racks. They just want to have it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think there's a lot of that. 
if you were to take that Pink Floyd vinyl off the wall there, it probably wouldn't sound so good because I used to scratch it and I used to like, beat juggle it. And I, oh, I really? To, I used to do some crazy stuff. So it's probably unlistenable now because that is a 70s original. But I used to mix it into music, basically. Do you know that, wow. great, that great kind of synthesized section at the start of Dark Side of the Moon near the start? Oh, I used to okay. kind of blend that and uh, scratch it up and pretty much ruined the record, Seamus. But uh, <laughs> what character, basically? So some of those ones are 70s originals that have been, uh, yeah. Fair I used. Hear you do this, Paul. Have you recorded any of this anyway? I have actually. I need to send you over, John. I was back my more creative days. Put it on the page. <laughs> Probably wow. scare people off the page. But yeah, I think that is it. Like, rather than just having it as part of a collective collector's item, me and my girlfriend will go around the charity shops, scoop them up and play them, play them, play them. We'll just get them on and actually play the yeah. music, basically, rather than actually building the collection as such, you know. But yeah. it is incredible to think that the vinyls have actually outsold CDs for the first time in a long time. That is a, my God, that's a shift and a half this year. That's one positive that's come from this year. Yeah, I think it is a novelty. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of kids that have grown up, <clears throat> they've not grown up with vinyl. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there are kids around today whose parents don't have records. They might have some CDs. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, there's, you know, you've got records and it's like, the artwork looks fantastic and you've got all the sleeve notes and you can just, you know, I used to, when I used to buy records in the early 80s, I used to just spend so much time looking at the record, reading the label. Yeah, yeah. And be just like amazed, just thinking, who are these people? You know, oh. wanting to know about them and sort of romanticizing about yeah. everything, you know. Yeah. Um, always stands out for me for that one was War of the Worlds. I remember being really young, looking at that and being scared shitless, looking at War of the Worlds. <laughs> and then it was whatever the hell those aliens were coming down. But you were mesmerized by it, weren't you? Sitting like a kid looking at that, thinking, what the fuck are these aliens? What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> so that imagery, like that Pink Floyd album, obviously a lot of Pink Floyd albums have got great. Yeah, artistic yeah. Mm-hmm. imagery going on, haven't they? And it's like I don't. There's not so much of that attached to the music these days. Yeah, you know, there's not that tangible thing. Where, and also, it's just like that feeling of ownership. Yep. Where you like you, you feel like you own something, and it's a, it's a piece of art, and it's you know, someone's done the artwork, and it's beautiful cover, and it's like you know, like that Pink Floyd album. Now you probably you could probably pay fifty pounds for some new repress that's like yeah, yeah. still got the character, has it? <laughs> No, it's not the same. You can buy. You can buy a lot of time. You can buy the original for a lot cheaper. They're out there, you know. But well, most people don't know where to look for these records, so they'll buy a brand new repressing in H and V or somewhere for quite a lot more money. But what's always fun with the charity shops is you always pull out some record and it's like Jenny loves Jimmy forever or something scrawled <laughs> in the inside and somebody's like, you know what I mean, drawing pictures in it. But it's probably yeah. something that was back in the 70s that were sitting kind of doting over that, that album cover, but <laughs> it's got that little bit of history. <laughs> There's a little something there. I don't know who yeah. Jenny and Jimmy were, but it seems like they had a great time. Uh, yeah, I've got a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, Seamus, we better let you go. We could talk music all right, I think, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Okay, my pleasure. Uh, and keep up the great work. I think me and John will, John will back me up on this. What Glitterbox is doing is incredible, defective in general. What you guys are doing is it's not just refreshing it, it's setting the standards for the for the next, hopefully, five to ten years, hopefully. You know what I mean? It's re-inspired and it's uh, scooped a lot of, kind of new listeners up, basically. So keep up the great work. Yeah, it's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll keep it going. I think it will grow and develop and um, get even bigger. That's what we're hoping. We're planning on coming to uh, Croatia next year as well. So hopefully, we'll we'll see you over there. Oh yeah. Uh, well, fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. Positive thinking. <laughs> Definitely. Right, thanks a lot, Seamus. We'll speak to you soon. All right, mate. You take okay. care.